so a lot of us have been raised, or most of us have been raised to take care of everybody around us, don't make waves, be a nice guy, and go with the flow. Um, so, you know, we don't say no to people. We say, yeah, and then we, there's even a spiritual concept nowadays that like it's a spiritual thing if you're evolved to say yes to everything. And I call bull on that. Um, if you can't say no to somebody, then I ask you, can you really trust their yes? Roots of Impact Podcast. Roots of Impact Podcast. Roots of Impact Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the podcast Roots of Impact. I'm David Griot. Roots of Impact is a podcast where we interview leaders, teachers, and healers and learn about their journeys and spread seeds of inspiration to create a more beautiful world. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm thrilled to be interviewing Christopher Stone, who is a sex educator, a relationship consultant, and also an author of a book called Conscious Cock. And Christopher is a really inspiring guy. It's been a pleasure chatting with him now uh, before this interview. He's uh, very, very sensitive, but at the same time, he's got a super powerful, clear, masculine energy and uh, super inspiring, full of knowledge. And I'm really excited to be chatting with him today. So much wisdom to share so that we can start healing our relationships in the world. So uh, without any further ado, welcome, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. So Chris, would you be willing to share with us about your journey in uh, becoming uh, a relationship consultant? How does, one, how does one become a sex educator and relationship consultant? You know, it's been a lifelong process for me, and I originally thought I was going to be a medical doctor. I wanted to be a healer and be in a helping position in the world, but as I spent three years going through various facilities like the emergency room, stints in the hospital, uh, working with various doctors of all kinds, social workers and therapists in reproductive health facilities and assisted living facilities and halfway houses, um, I came to a deep understanding that I didn't want to work within the system because I disagreed with the concept of diagnosing everything as a condition and addressing it by prescribing drugs in a for-profit model that was benefiting corporations that were selling insurance. So I turned away from the entire um, Western medical establishment and um, went on my own and did a deep dive into what my own personal calling was for how I want to help make the world a better place. And for me, what came up over years of investigation was that it's about relationship success and sexuality and helping men and women, people of all genders, but basically couples to have better success rates and satisfaction rates with their relationship by learning the tools that I've learned over 30 years of studying relationships, communication, 
and sexuality, anatomy, and physiology. So it was a long, arduous path. I never knew I was going to get into this, but as I, as a man and human being, asked myself, what's my unique gift to give in this life? It became clear to me it's about relationships. And that's because of how my life was when I was growing up, my home as a child. I often tell people I survived or lived through a total of six divorces as a child. And as a child, in those turbulent environments, I got to witness all the dysfunction and abusive patterns and mismatched hopes uh, for, from my mother and from men and from those men and their wives that they divorced to be with my mother. And I naturally started to be the mediator and the moderator and the person who tried to help them to match each other. And I developed that skill set as a child living through all of this abuse and harassment. And then as an adult, I continued to learn relationship strategies, communication tools, and things like that. I was passionate that I was going to not end up like that. I was not going to have a divorce in my life ever. I was going, if I ever get married, that I would be successful and have a thriving relationship. And I didn't have anybody to follow. I didn't have anybody to role model myself off of. I was just surrounded by average relationships with the same kind of patterns in relationships that everybody's familiar with in movies and TV shows and their friends and their siblings and their parents. But I did read science fiction and that gave me an idea of expansive possibilities it got my mind to think in a broader way as a child. I thought, there's got to be a better way. Look, we could design things differently. We could do things differently. What if we changed this rule? Or what if we changed the way that this thing is done in relationships? We could possibly get what we really want then. So I, I became a man, an adult, you know, 18 years old, with this concept that there is a better way, but I don't know what it is. So I've spent the last 30 years of my life scouring the world and adding tools to my toolkit. And then I met my now wife 14 years ago, and these tools have allowed us to have the most successful, hottest, most vibrant and engaged relationship of anybody I know. And I've condensed these into the book that you mentioned, Conscious Cock, so that it's a you know 20 years, 30 years of toolkit development condensed them into a powerful matrix download so that somebody can buy it for 20 bucks and then have a real bullet-pointed step-by-step system to achieve relationship and sex life satisfaction in their lives. So it's been a long, arduous road, and I never knew I was going to end up here, man. Wow, Christopher, thank you for, for sharing that. It's really beautiful and inspiring how from what was undoubtedly a, a difficult childhood of, you know, seeing six divorces out of the, the most difficult, it reminds me of the, the metaphor of the lotus flower, out of the, the filthiest, you know, nastiest place blooms the most beautiful flower because you made a choice and you didn't just react compulsively to what, what was happening around you, but you made a choice that you wanted to live differently. And so... I think that's super inspiring. And 
I'm really excited to dig into some of these tools that you're alluding to. I love how you, uh, you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. You're in a very successful, uh, amazing, thriving relationship even after 14 years. Um, certainly that's a very rare thing. So could you please introduce us to some of these principles? And it would, it would be really cool if you um, talked about for people that are starting out a relationship, for people that have been in a relationship for a long time, and for people that are single, like me, maybe some tools for each of those uh, kind of scenarios. Yeah, sure. Um, why don't I start this way? You know, the common relationship design that pretty much everybody does in their lives is that they hope to fall in love. Maybe they meet somebody and they do fall in love. And that falling in love is so culturally valued and idealized. We just, we, we want it so bad. And it feels amazing. I've fallen in love a few times and it just is the most blissful free fall. And we love that and it's kind of like being high. And it, it literally is a cocktail of neurotransmitters or hormones, you could say, in our bodies that make us feel like we're floating a foot off the ground. And the problem with it is that you don't do any work. You don't do any hard investigation. And the relationships tend to get harder over time. After two years, a lot of those relationships start growing stale as you start to realize the real person that you've got in front of you rather than this kind of idealized concept of who they were when you fell in love. After five years, maybe the other person starts getting annoying to you. Maybe after 10 years, you're, you've lost respect for them and the relationship fails. You know, whatever the timeline is, it doesn't matter. But if you flip that and approach it a different way, and instead of going into blissful freefall early in a relationship, you replace that with doing some hard work at the beginning of the relationship then the relationship can get easier and easier over time. Oh, a good way to look at it is to think about it like building a house and building the foundation of the house. If you build a house on a sandbar, you know, when an earthquake or a tidal wave comes or a big deluge, you know, the shifting sand underneath that house is going to cause problems and you're going to need to do maintenance. You're going to need to focus on rebuilding that foundation or maybe it just wipes your house out. But if you take the time to be strategic and really build a strong foundation in your relationship on solid ground, then you can build the most amazing skyscraper if you want to. Um, so the tools that I present are real world, easy to learn things that you don't have to spend like 20 minutes a day practicing like meditation for like 10 years in order to get the benefits of it. It's not woo woo. It's not new agey. It's like, conversation strategies, um, ways to, or scripts to follow, to, to bring things up in your relationship and learning sound, modern sex education, like anatomy and physiology, uh, and arousal patterns, um, that we didn't know 20 years ago. Um, empowering yourself with real sharp craftsmanship tools to allow you to, to get what you really want out of your relationship. Um, rather than just unconsciously falling in love and then one day the bubble gets popped. So there's tons of these tools. Um, and perhaps 
the most important of all is a self-awareness that you can tune into your own intuition and give yourself permission to acknowledge what you want and what you don't want. Acknowledge what you're a yes to and what you're a no to and what you're a maybe to. What I mean by that is having opinions, having boundaries and limits and desires. So a lot of us have been raised or most of us have been raised to take care of everybody around us, don't make waves, be a nice guy and go with the flow. Um, so, you know, we don't say no to people. We say, yeah, and then we, it, there's even a spiritual concept nowadays that like it's a spiritual thing if you're evolved to say yes to everything. And I call bull on that. Um, if you can't say no to somebody, then I ask you, can you really trust their yes? And I don't think you can. Their yes could be anemic, devoid of meaning. You don't know where they really stand because they can't tell you no. So it, it, a foundation tenet of this kind of relationship style is being able to tap into your own intuition about what you like, what you don't like, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, what you're a yes to, what you're a no to, and then being able to get those words out of your mouth and communicate them to the other people rather than trying to take care of their feelings. Don't hurt them. And that's really hard for a lot of people to voice what's really true for them inside. And if you don't do that, if you don't voice what's really true for you inside, you end up playing a part, like you play a role. You, 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 you act a part in a play, and that is inauthentic. So the pathway to success begins with being able to be authentic and real. Otherwise, you're going to live a life or a relationship of inauthenticity, and you're either going to end up fed up, but wanting to cheat, or you're going to end up abusing alcohol or getting addicted to something um, or living a life of apathy and just withering. And all those I think are horrible and you, it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to be able to tune into what's real for you in your life, what you really want and what you don't want and be able to communicate that to another person. So, you know, the surprising way to, to learn that best, in my opinion, is to go to a boundaries and consent workshop. Most people would say, what are you talking about? Finding your vo being able to voice what's real for you? You go to a boundaries and consent workshop, but in the boundaries and consent workshops, you uh, learn and practice how to communicate your limits and your desires to other people and be able to hear when they say, no, I'm not interested in that and be able to handle it and not take it personally. So it's about building your courage to voice that and give yourself permission to do things like change your mind rather than sticking to the bitter end because you gave your word, which is inauthentic. And two inauthentic people both wearing masks in a relationship is it's not going to work long term. It's not going to ever be truly satisfying. So um, starting with boundaries and consent, learning to, to say what goes on uh, inside of you to your other person so that they actually know who you are. They know who you really are and what you really stand for and how you really work. That gives you a, the, a chance to build a real relationship, a strong foundation. So I think that's the most core thing to, to begin with. Wow. Um, I, I've, I've recently seen also that uh, being honest with people, whether it's 
with with friends or anyone you deal with, it's so rare actually someone who's very honest, and it's so refreshing and appreciated. And even if, for example, I, I'm, I talk about friends because I'm not in a relationship, of course, but if I have a friend who, who I ask them, uh, should we hang out this weekend? And they're like, no, I'd like some time by myself, uh, but next time for sure. It's like, it's so refreshing. And instead of them saying, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll call you tomorrow. And then they never call you or whatever. So the honesty is such a powerful weapon. I'm noticing more and more. And so it makes total sense what you're saying. So I'm wondering if, if you've started a relationship and you, you've, had, you've had honesty, but there m- might be some things that are still hidden inside you and you're, you might be struggling, maybe a few years have passed, and you want to you wanna really uh, do, the, do the work and bring the relationship to the next level. What are some other specific things that a couple who's been together for a while could do? Um, okay, learning how to be honest without being a jerk is really helpful. And on the heels of that is how to truly listen. Because most of the times what happens in your average relationship is that, especially when there's a fight, is you filter what the other person's saying. You reword it in your words based on your perspective. Um, and that inhibits moving through that difficulty and getting to a place of feeling truly connected and back to a place of centeredness and groundedness and love and affection with each other. Um, if you know, I'm saying, this is what's going on to me, and you, and you filter it and you say, oh, it's this thing that's going on for you, but that's not really what I just said, I don't feel heard, and we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to make any progress. So learning to communicate honestly, absolutely, uh, and then learning to listen. And in this, we're talking about, especially with men and women, masculinity and femininity, uh, learning to empathize with your partner's experience. Feel what it's like for them. If you were in their shoes, how would it feel to them? So these are skills at listening that we aren't taught in junior high school, we aren't taught in high school, we're not taught in college, we're not taught in post-grad or anything. And we don't see anybody modeling these behaviors usually. Um, Although there are a few shows on Netflix now where people are being bravely courageous and listening well, and I'm really appreciating that. Um, So uh, how to be radically honest, communicate non-aggressively, and how to really listen gives you the actual structure that you can use to communicate successfully. All right, so if you have a a successful communication um, framework to use, then you have a chance at feeling like, yeah, okay, we both see each other, we both hear each other, and okay, now I understand you, I can see why you felt that way. Then you have a chance to come back together and and move forward. You know, a way to look at it is as if you're in a, a dance. This is, which is especially helpful for, for men in a relationship with a woman uh, because the dominant narrative is that uh, the woman's always changing her mind. And how do I handle that she changes her moods? You know, I just want to be able to like, have her stick by her word so I can know where I stand. But the concept of being able to be in a dynamic, engaged dance where you're, you're literally always responding to the situation rather than hardening, concretizing into a position that makes you feel better about yourself. Um, you know, the good question is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? 
So um, there's a lot of tools that, that men in relationships can, can learn to, to have better success with women. And I teach a lot of that in my book. There's a whole chapter on just understanding women because so many men don't understand women. They just don't get them and nobody's ever taught them. And it's not hard to learn. And I've grown up surrounded by so many, well, wonderful women and powerful women that I have a deep understanding of, of what I'm going to call the feminine. And, you know, I've broken that down uh, to you know, a bullet list, step-by-step -step process to understand women and then how to understand how to interface them in an empowered way. Um, so, you know, there's things that are very simple to help re-establish love and affection in a relationship if it's gone stale. Um, we can call that re-romanticizing and things like making a list with your partner and asking your partner, hey, what are 10 things that when I do them or if I were to do them, you would feel loved by me? And that might be something simple. It might be like, oh, if you pull out the chair at the dinner table for me, that makes me feel loved by you. Or it might be like, when you take out the trash, that makes me feel loved, you know? Or it might be when you touch me on the shoulder as you walk by, or you give me a hug or a kiss on the neck, that makes me feel loved. Like, and then you do the same thing. You say to your partner, um, these are, here's a list of 10 things that when you do them, or if you were to do them, you know, that, those things make me feel loved by you. Um, and then pick a couple things on that list that are easy for you to do easy for you to do. Like there's going to be something on that list that's easy for you to do. Like, oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. Sure. I'll... And then do it regularly. Even when you feel bad in your relationship, still do it. That's when it counts the most. So re-romanticizing your relationship by doing things that demonstrate to your partner that you love them because those are the things that make them feel loved. There's another way to look at it, which is called um, the five love languages. Some people feel loved when they get a lot of quality alone time with their partner. That's the thing that they want the most. Other people feel loved when their partner does acts of service for them, helps them with things in their lives, like taking out the grocery or going shopping for the groceries, doing the laundry, doing the bills, filing the taxes. Acts of service make the, some people feel loved. Other people feel loved when their partner gives them gifts. Um, and other people feel loved when, by touch and affection, not necessarily sex, but yes, including uh, uh, the possibility, or, or within the realm of touch in includes the realm of sex. And let's see, what's the fifth one? Well, I figured off the top of my head, but uh, this um, framework for looking at love and what makes people feel loved is really useful because if my version of what love is, is acts of service. And I'm taking out the garbage and I'm doing the laundry and paying the bills and all these things. But if your love language is physical touch and I'm never touching you and I'm doing all these acts of service, but that's not your love language, you don't feel loved because I'm not doing what makes you feel loved. I'm not touching you, so you don't feel loved. And I get frustrated because I'm doing all, this, all these acts of service to love you and it's not getting through. You're not, it's not, you're not receiving it. So there's this concept of learning what your love language is and learning what your partner's love language is. And just that knowledge alone can be a huge aha moment in uh, your life with your partner. Like, oh, okay, I've been loving you this way, but that's not what makes you feel loved. Okay, so if I love you in the way that 
you feel love, if I touch you more, if I cuddle you, if I kiss you on the neck, if I give you a hug and a squeeze, you know, a massage, you'll feel like, okay, I can do that, you know? Then like your love actually has a chance to land on the other person. So, you know, there's some um, basic, I'm not going to say judging by being basic, but there's some simple to use tools like these that really get give you a lot of mileage for kind of rekindling the fire or um, getting guys to come closer together again, get you a better chance of success. Uh, and there's, there's lots more, but these two are super useful and great to begin with. I wish I was in a relationship <laughs> so that I could try some of this out. Um, I'm wondering, Chris, if you would be willing to share uh, perhaps a, a story of of one of your clients from you know previous years or whenever that that has implemented some of these uh, strategies into a, a stale stale relationship and you've seen it rekindle before your eyes. Well, let's see. I have a few examples that that come to mind, and um, you know, people when they learn about the five love languages, it can be absolutely revolutionary to them, especially if. I've, I've seen it really work really well for analytical kind of guys. And if you give them a handle to hold on to, a tool to grab, they're like, oh, yeah, I love this hammer. It fits my hand. I can use this hammer. Um, so simply learning uh, how having the insight or framework to look at how, okay, this one guy that I was working with, and he, the way he received love was specifically through touch. Now, included in that, I would say frequency of sex, okay? Because it's not just uh, non-sexual platonic touch, but it also can include sex. So in his relationship, sex was really important. And to his partner, she was fine, you know, once a month. And, you know, he really wanted twice a week, let's say. Um, and her love language was receiving gifts. And he didn't know that. And he wasn't the kind of guy to give gifts. He never gave any gifts. He didn't bring flowers home. You know, he didn't ever get her a necklace or earrings. You know, oftentimes on her birthday, he wouldn't even get her a card. Like it just, he didn't care about that. Um, he really cared about touch. And she didn't really care about touch that much. You know, but she really wanted, you know, she wanted the flowers. She wanted that delightful surprise of a, you know, a little present laid out for her, especially on her birthday. And it was a real bone of contention that they uncovered when they learned their love languages that, He's like, oh my God, I can do that. Sure, that's fine. I'll go get you a card and write I love you on it and get you flowers once in a while on Christmas or Valentine's Day. And it revolutionized their relationship because then he was empowered. He knew how she experienced love and was then able to go do that. And it was simple for him to do. Didn't cost a lot. It's not like he had to work an hour every day on it. You know, he didn't have to go to therapy and spend $200 an hour every week. It's just like, Get her something nice, get her a necklace, get her a little jewelry, like little gifts to demonstrate to her in a way that she could receive, that landed for her. And then she's like, oh, okay, so more sex is important to you. Oh, that's okay, I can, I can do that a little bit more. I know I just get into my zone and I don't want it that very much. But she wasn't closed to him. She just was in her normal frequency of operation and just didn't occur to her. Oh yeah, you know, it's been a month already. Oh my God, it wasn't important to her. But then they started doing it, and it absolutely brought them closer together and then kind of ended up in like a rebirth 
kind of a second honeymoon of sorts for them. So, you know, the, the tools can be so simple and you can have this huge aha moment. Not always. Some people experience that they have two or three love languages that are the most important for them and it's more blended and, and blurred. But, you know, for them, it was really clear. Um, so a simple strategy, simple tool, do a simple investigation or conversation with your partner. Um, there's even a, a worksheet that's in the, in the book, Conscious Cock, and that you can download free online called the Five Love Languages Test or Worksheet. And you, know, you just print it out and answer the questions. They're just multiple choice. I feel more loved when you give me a gift on my birthday, or I feel more loved when you um, take out the garbage. You know, and you just say, which one do you feel more deeply yourself? And then you, know, you both do it, and you compare your results. You grade them at the end. And you're like, oh, okay, now I know what my love language is and what yours is, so let's implement that. The, that information in our lives moving forward. It must be so gratifying, <laughs> your line of work, seeing, uh, seeing your clients rekindle their, their romances. Oh, I can't imagine how good that must feel for you. So thank you for the important work that you're doing. <laughs> in uh, anatomical and physiological way, um, literally, female reproductive and genital anatomy, there's been so much that has been uncovered through scientific research by female researchers on female anatomy in the last 20 years that has not been published in the mainstream, by mainstream I mean male-dominated scientific journals. And if you learn that new anatomy or new understanding of the female anatomy, you actually have solid information to go on. And I'm literally talking about the woman's genitals. Um, there's a deeper internal structure component to the clitoris that most men have no clue exists. The little head, the nub, the little diamond that most people think, oh, the clitoris, yeah, that little spot down there, is literally just the tip of the iceberg. It has this large, extensive internal shape and structure with literally over 18 distinct identifiable parts. Now, you don't need to know all 18 parts, but I'm just using this as an example that if you don't know what's going, what exists down there, you don't have a chance to succeed with it. You're just shooting in the dark. But if you learn literally the map of the female genitalia, then you have success because you, you can navigate. And if you learn a, 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 a metaphor for female arousal that I like to teach, um, then, then you can have a strategy for it. So uh, a very common thing for guys is that they, 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 they expect the woman to be more turned on than she actually is because they, the guys turn on so fast. But a really successful way to approach uh, arousal for women is a top-down approach that I like to teach. And, it, and, and if you start with connecting with the woman's mind, connecting with her head, you know, and then you move on to connecting to her heart. And then if you've connected to her head and her heart, maybe her genitals will become available, so to say. So top down, start it with her head, move on to her heart, and then maybe her genitals will be available and then go for her genitals. Like so many guys just rush right in and put their hand in between the woman's legs and she's not ready for it and it doesn't feel good. She's totally like, step off, back off. It's too much, too fast. Because the guy doesn't have a framework or a strategy that literally works for women. 
So understanding the anatomy and having a, a good strategy, like the top-down approach, like starting with her, her head, her brain means like connect to her mind, have a good conversation, you know, be interesting, find out what she's into, what, what, what's been on her mind that day, what she's been thinking about. Are there worries and concerns that she's been having thoughts about all day? You know, maybe the house is a mess. Maybe the bills haven't been paid. Um, you know, that's useful information. If you can connect with her mind, well, then maybe you can do something about that. Maybe you can pick up the house and pay the bills, and then she can relax or help her do those things or something along those lines. And then you find out where her heart's at. Like, how's she feeling? You know, are you really connecting with where she's at emotionally in her life? Can you reach through the distance and meet her in the middle of the fire of where she, what, what her emotional experience is in her, in her life right then? Are you being loving? Does she experience you as being loving? Or are you guys totally ships passing in the night, missing each other? And if you can connect with your heart and, and then she feels loved and you feel the love and the connection's flowing, you've connected with her mind, you know her reality, you connect with her heart, like you're, you're, the feelings between you are flowing, then maybe her genitals come online. And then, yeah, okay, it's fine to go down there and stimulate and touch and arouse. So knowing female anatomy, um, modern understanding of female anatomy, uh, and there's a whole roadmap of hot spots that most guys don't know about. Um, it's not just the clit, and a lot of guys don't even know about the clit. Um, and then having a strategy of working the top down, you know, starting with her head, then her heart, and then if you guys are really connecting, then sure, yeah, then it's then she's going to open up more easily. Um, okay, so um, something that women don't understand. much about men. That's not something that I, that I teach very often um, because I focus on working with men and helping them understand women. Um, there's a lot of guys out there who are coaches and coach women on how to understand men and succeed with men, and that's just not my specialty. But, um, you know, a lot of guys experience love after their genitals are turned on. It's as if their genitals are the gateway to their heart. Some people would say, oh, you know, his stomach is the gateway to his heart. Well, that's kind of cliche. Um, a lot of guys will understand from firsthand experience that if their girlfriend or wife or partner makes love to them, that then their heart opens up and they feel connected, which is perhaps the opposite for women. That you gotta, If you start with their head and then their heart and connect with their mind and their heart first, then maybe, um, you know, after they feel the love, then like, their sexuality will open. So if women understand that men have a deep need for sexual intimacy, often, you know, generally, categorically speaking, then um, they can be more sensitive to that and be like, oh, okay, well, I, I want him to connect with me. I I'm going to be more open, more accessible. For example, not just be unconsciously distant, right? But consciously say, oh, okay, I'm going to consciously open up to him more because I understand that that connection pathway for him works the opposite that it does for me. And if both people are actively trying to reach the other person, understanding how connection and arousal works for the other person, then you have such a good chance of success. If it's just one person and the other person's not trying at all, it's out of balance and you have a, a lesser chance of success. Chris, thank you so much for these tips. This is pure gold. I'm just super, super impressed at, at what kind of wisdom you're sharing with us. Um, w when, we, when we talk about sexuality, 
something comes to, to my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people's minds, is the the status quo of, of the culture we live in with, you know, the recent Me Too movement where it's it's becoming revealed that sexual abuse is like a crazy epidemic. And certainly there's, I think I read that a third of the internet is pornography, something like that. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, um, and I'd like your thoughts on how, how we can, how we can start to heal as men and, and, and change the, change this culture. And also as kind of a second part to this question is there are men out there who certainly feel a bit frightened and paralyzed in light of all this because they don't want to do the, the wrong thing and they don't want to you know, hurt any women, but at the same time, they need to, you know, express their, what they want, and so it's, I think men are, are having trouble just uh, handling this, this situation, especially when they really have good intentions. Oh, God, it's totally epidemic that good guys feel paralyzed now. I've had so many men come to me and say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified to approach a woman now, post me too because I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't want to be labeled a misogynist and I don't want to be lumped in with all the abusers and harassers you know women for so long so many women have been catcalled followed down a street by some creep or said hey do you want a massage you know or literally abused raped etc or um marginalized and oppressed, you know, turned out, passed over for a promotion at work, not getting equal pay, things like that. It is absolutely epidemic. And that's what Me Too, by and large, one thing that Me Too, by and large, accomplished was revealing the extent to which that exists in our world. And guys who want to, who are good men or want to be good men in their lives and in the world come to me all the time and I say, I don't know how to talk to a woman. I don't know what to do. And in that, they experience a sense of paralysis. And the answers to that that I recommend are learning authenticity, learning how to speak authentically and honestly. So going back to understanding the concepts of how you are empowered by being able to communicate your desires and your boundaries and limits and be able to hear a no from somebody and not take it personally, not lash out at them, not make it mean anything about you. Um, it's a skill to develop the ability to make an invitation rather than a veiled demand that most of us have never seen role modeled for us in our lives. A true invitation, it's okay if the person declines you don't take it personally. It doesn't mean you asked the wrong question. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. It's just you made an invitation. Hey, if you want to do this thing, that's great. And it's okay if you don't want to. It That's a true invitation. But what most people do is make demands. Like, did your mom ever say, hey, can you take out the garbage? That's actually a demand in disguise. It's not actually 
an invitation that you could say no to. You can't say no to that. You know, and, and we've been raised with that. That's what we understand. We make these veiled demands. That's how we, but, but actually learning how to make an invitation and learning the skill at being able to receive a no and not take it personally, not make it mean you're not good enough or you ask the wrong thing. So there's a simple tool that, that I teach, which is from this organization called Cuddle Party, which teaches a boundaries and consent workshop where you explore trying on making invitations and responding to other people's invitations in an environment where non-sexual touch is welcome. For example, uh, neck massage or a back massage or head scratch or a foot rub or hold my hand while I share something with you. Because um, embedded in the rules of a cuddle party is that everybody stays clothed. Clothes stay on the entire time. This is a non-sexual event. And part of the things you can do there is explore what it's like to say no to every single invitation because we're not taught to say no. We're taught to just go with the flow and be nice. Don't make waves. Saying no can be a radical act. Um, so one of the things that Cuddle Party teaches, one of the tools that they offer is that um, when somebody says no to an invitation that you've made, like, hey, would you like to go out on a date with me Saturday night to the movies? And they say, for whatever reason, they say no. That if you respond to that no by saying, thanks for taking care of yourself, it's, mag it's magical, it's alchemical. What it does is it shifts in your wiring and your chemistry um, your perspective on that no. You're like, oh, they're just taking care of themselves. Maybe they've been sick. Maybe they're exhausted and overworked and it's really the best thing for them to stay home. It doesn't mean that you asked the wrong question. It doesn't mean they didn't want to go to the movie. You know, they're just doing what's right for them. And you know, if you want success in a relationship, you want somebody to take care of themselves. You don't want them to require you to take care of them. That is literally childish. I mean that in the way that that's what children do with their parents. They expect their parents to take care of them. It's natural. But to do that as an adult in a relationship with your partner, that's a recipe for disaster. It's much better to be mature and take care of your needs, take care of yourself, and then present a whole self to your, to your partner. So um, learning to, to make invitations rather than veiled demands or being creepy in your request. Actually, true invitations and being able to handle taking a no for example, and respond, thanks for taking care of yourself. It's totally fine. I can hear a no. And learning to not ask for things that you know you're not going to be able to handle hearing a no to. If I can't handle her saying no to me, it's better that I don't ask that invitation. Um, so is that, that a good response to your question? That's a terrific response. <laughs> Chris, I really, really appreciate all that you're sharing with us. Uh, I can't express it enough. Um, so oh, wait, there was one more thing. I just, I for, kind of forgot the extent of your question. Let me interrupt you. Okay, please. Um, so this paralysis that men experience, you know, uh, there, there's two things that I wanted to, to say, you know, to address that paralysis. Um, one is take a boundaries and consent workshop, learn how to make invitations and handle taking a no and not taking it personally. Um, and the other is don't exist in a vacuum, right? I did that. That was my path. I didn't have anybody in my life that was a role model for me for positive masculinity. And I had to create that version of masculinity out of nothing for myself. And it was hard and a long path and I don't recommend it for anybody. And you can take shortcuts nowadays because people are creating tools like my book. 
Um, so if you want to be more successful in relationships and be a good man and exit the paralysis, it's so much easier to do it with support from other men that are on the same or parallel pathway. But if your friends don't do it, your family's not doing it and you don't see it on TV, where do you find that? So those resources exist nowadays uh, on the internet and also in retreats. Um, one of the things that I'm offering is a online men's group, which is a private Facebook group for guys to be able to share their questions, their successes, their failures, uh, their concerns about relationships, intimacy, communication, sex, etc. And, you know, it, it's all text in a Facebook group, though. So, you know, Facebook is a limited format. Uh, it's much better to have one-on-one -on -one interactions. So if you can find a men's circle in your area that um, you can go to, um, that provides you a camaraderie and support and solidarity, that you don't just feel like you're the only guy in the world trying to do this. You have some other guys that are also doing it to lean on. And part of the magic that happens in circle in a men's circle or a circle is that as people share what they're going through, inevitably you'll identify with part of what they're saying or it'll give you a new perspective that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. And the thing is in a circle, nobody's preaching, nobody's teaching and everybody's on equal footing. So it's extremely powerful. But if you can't find a men's circle in your area or a good one that you like, then you can join a virtual men's circle, which is one of the things that I'm doing. I, I make circles of eight to 10 guys and as the group fills up, then I, we launch the group and I close the group so that the guys, it's the same guys every week, you know, just for a one or two hour call every week by Zoom. So we're, we're doing video conferencing or you can call in from a telephone and um, it builds interconnectedness and we do the buddy system so that every guy gets another guy that they kind of gets to go deeper dive with and have a support friend, buddy, you know, anybody who's a surfer knows about, do you have your buddy? Um, you know, to dive into these issues with. And then if you're having a hard time or you're out on a date or you're doing this thing, you got somebody to call or text message and say, hey, this thing's happening. Do you have any advice for me really quickly? Um, you know, or to share this really deep experience that you've been going through that you have no one to talk with about it in your entire life. Without spaces to talk about these things, we're doomed to not be able to get better because you have to practice. So having support from other guys that are doing the same kind of work makes you feel like you're part of a greater movement. So um, sure, learn a boundary, go to, go to a boundaries and consent workshop, learn how to take a no and answer. Thank you for taking um, care of yourself, make true invitations, and also connect with other guys that are also doing this. So you can join my Facebook group or join my online men's circle. Just go to consciouscock.com if you can't find anything else. You know, but it's much better if you can join a circle that's in your local area. So you're face to face. Um, because there's so, it's, it's such better communication when you're face to face. I love these suggestions, Chris. Our, our intention with this podcast is to provide really useful tools for people to change their, change their lives for the better and improve their relationships and, and blossom. And that's what this whole conversation has, has been about. You've provided so many wonderful practical tools, and it's been really a pleasure having you on, uh, on here. I hope we can have a, a conversation again in the near future. I'm so excited to read your book, Conscious Cock. 
Um, I'm even going to leave you a, an Amazon review if, if I like it as much as I think I will. So uh, thank you very much, Chris, for being here today. And, uh, and uh, keep up the, the amazing work. It's so important and special what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's so needed to, to be able to have these conversations and de-trigger them. Make them not abnormal. Make it normal and easy to have these conversations. It's okay to talk about relationships. It's okay to talk about sex. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. So thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Uh, again, my website is ConsciousCock.com. And there's tons of free downloadable worksheets to work through things, to have uh, more tool, add more tools to your toolkit uh, that are located on the downloads page on that website. And anybody can always reach out and say hi to me through the contact page. So thanks so much. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, and uh, thank you listeners for, for joining us today. Have a great day.